Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Good morning, Memphis. It's Tuesday here in the Bluff City, and that means we are coming to you with another episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis. I am here with my co-host, Christy <laughs> Mullen. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, How Anna. was your weekend? Uh, it was very good. I love it. Uh, well, see, <laughs> I, our guests need to know, or I'm sorry, our guests, our listeners, yes. our guests, we record this on Monday. Yes. Um, airs on Tuesday. And so this is the first thing that we do in our week. So it's always a little bit of mm-hmm. a like, whoa, the week has yeah. started. And... I've got a giant microphone in front of my face. <laughs> so I just like to do a little, like, a wellness yeah, check. We How are you? I'm good. I've, like, that's what I was telling someone the other day. I was like, you know, we record this two episodes at a time just because we're a nonprofit. We are very busy people in this space. <laughs> we're very important. We're very and- important. No. <laughs> but, you know, we, like, have these masks on and we come up on Monday and, like, have to talk. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready. The weekend was over in the blink of an eye. But I am good. But to answer your question, like I just did, I am very well. I took the opportunity this weekend to go to the Dixon. They are having an impression, American impressionism. Sorry, I have to be definitive. Mm. An American she's impressionism. She's an art student, so. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag was many, many moons ago. Um, but it was so good. And it just kind of reminds me, they had obviously French Impressionist painters that were based off. We're not going to go into that. This is not an art podcast, but if anyone wants to do one, call me. Because she just pulled up a PowerPoint here. (laughs) You know where to find me. Some art history lessons. But like, what was really funny to me about going to the Dixon is the Dixon was also my last outing before the world shut down. They had a collage exhibit and the tulips were in bloom. The last week, and I went because I had never seen the Dixon tulips. And so I was like, I'm going to go. I went by myself that time because I'm super cool. And, but then I was looking at, they had the impression exhibit. I was like, wow, it's been a year. Like, I haven't been to the Dixon in a full year. I haven't, it, it was just kind of a humbling moment where I was like, we have been in the thick of this for a year. And it's not like I forgot. It's not like I didn't know. But just kind of seeing it in that perspective, Mm. I was just like, wow. But on a happier note, the exhibition is great. You guys need to run. Don't walk to go look at it. Because this is something I love about our museums. Not only the fact that they bring the access to the art here, you can get so close. The Dixon's probably listening like, don't, don't get close to that. <laughs> Chris is up like yeah. deep breathing on yeah, these like, paintings. I have a security guard scared I'm going to touch something. Because <laughs> she's like, what's great about our museum is you can touch all yeah. of the art. That's no. really unique in Memphis. <laughs> yeah, it's just very unique. But truly, like, you can get an up-close personal view of it. And they, you know, they watch you. You're not, they're not going to let you hurt anything or touch anything. And if you would, I will find you and get you because do not hurt the art. <laughs> um, but it's just, I, I get so much happiness, not just because I'm an art nerd, but just because it's here. It's in our backyard. And I think people forget, like, the museums make such a great pandemic activity. And I did just combine two words, pandemic and activity, get with it <laughs> or get off my butt. <laughs> but like, it really is just such a good thing to do because they're super clean. Unfortunately, unfortunately and fortunately during the times, they're not that, they're not crowded. They have everything outlined. You can only walk a specific way. And I just, it's so important. I know we talk about this all the time with our good friend, Rachel Knox, but it's so important to get out and support our organizations that where you can, and especially the arts. Um, so that is my plea 
as always, just get out there and enjoy your city, Memphis. There's safe ways to do it. Um, we've been, like I said, in the thick of this for a whole entire year. And if you're like me and live at home alone, you're starting to talk to yourself a little extra these yeah, days. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I knew that this would be the case going into winter 2020. But coming out of not just like yes. you know, coming out, like physically coming out of your house, but also coming out into this beautiful spring weather. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will say that the Dixon is the perfect place to go in March because, as Christy said, yes, you can enjoy some beautiful indoor art safely. But there's also just astoundingly beautiful mm -hmm. grounds and the tulips are something to behold. So I, 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 I made the entire uh, Mullins clan get out this weekend to go to the Memphis Zoo. Love it. Yes. And it, again, it's like... <laughs> We are just like the zoo animals. Like, we must we must go lay out in the sun. I was about to say it you have time. a big family too, so it's just like yes. a herd of you guys. We all went. Um, all the all the kids, all my sisters, my parents. Um, so it, it really was beautiful. Yeah. And I will say the zoo is also doing a great job to keep mm -hmm. people safe and keep people you know masked up and and far apart. But it was, it does you know I, I'm, I, I I think I've been saying this for like a couple of weeks now on the podcast, but I'll continue to say it. I'm like. It's all happening. People are getting vaccinated. <laughs> yes. There's a light at the end of this tunnel. And I feel like spring is just like getting in my bones where I'm like, okay, uh -huh. like, I'm getting excited about what the rest of this year holds. That so. seasonal depression is lifting. Like I, it's like every, have a vaccination every year I'm like, I'm going to get one of those lamps, you know? And yes. I never do. But at the end of the year or at the end of the winter when I like get to like, I literally just like went into my backyard and like laid <laughs> Like a cat. It was only, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like my dogs are out there too. And I'm just like, this is exactly what my body needed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I encourage you, Memphis, to, to go out. Go check out some art. Go check out some animals. Yeah. What's um, your favorite you animal? I'm just curious. Gosh. Well, so they they ha I have I hadn't actually been to the zoo. I'd been for like um we went for like a Christmas thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I hadn't been and like gotten to see the animals in probably over a year. Oh wow. Um so I hadn't seen the new hippo mm -hmm. like enclosure. Um so that's lovely. The it's the Zambezi River. Yes. Um and I I don't know, I just like personally relate to hippos. <laughs> If well, as soon as I can be like lying in water and not just like lying yeah. out in the sun, I will be. Um, I love it. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, they're continuing to make improvements at the zoo, and um, so we continue to manage their parking problems. So yes. we can all love them uh, extra. <laughs> so now that we've established that we are both doing well and um, enjoying, but not touching our Memphis assets. Um, <laughs> Let's get into today's episode. Christy, what have we got in store today? Yeah, we will have Dr. Jamie Hardy in studio with us, who is a practicing clinical and lifestyle pharmacist here in the Memphis area. And she's going to share her insights on all things health related. And also later in the show, we'll be joined by our good friend, Caroline Bauman. I always want to make sure I say her last name correctly, of Chalkbeat, Tennessee, for a closer look into everything that's going on in our education sector, which we know is plentiful and is just ever evolving. Ooh. So <laughs> let's just buckle up and jump right in. All right, let's do it. Dr. Jamie Hardy is here with us, and she is a board-certified and practicing clinical pharmacist in Memphis, Tennessee, right here where we live. She is a well-sought-after speaker, best-selling author, and health correspondent. She is also known to many online as the lifestyle pharmacist, so we are super excited to have her here. Welcome, Dr. Jamie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I'm so thankful that you got to join us today. How are you? I'm doing well, all <laughs> things considered, right? Yes. It's been an interesting ride that we've all been on, but I'm just thankful that I'm healthy. 
I'm thankful that I have a family that's still healthy as well, yeah. a support system, community around me that keeps me moving forward <laughs> and just helps me to stay focused on what I need to do. Mm. 100%. <laughs> I feel like that community is the best thing, especially in the the pandemic. I've been listening to the youths on TikTok. Yeah. Have y'all seen this thing? They like call the pandemic by anything with a P word. <laughs> no. So they'll call it like, they'll be like, you know, this panini press or this panoramic. <laughs> and so now when I talk about the pandemic, sometimes it just slips and I'm about to say something that's not pandemic. <laughs> 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 like I've been slipping into calling it a pandemic recently just to pandemic. make it cuter. No, you know, I'm into that. <laughs> But just right now in the middle of the pandemic, I feel like community is such an important thing. And we're realizing that even more yes. as we go through these things. So my first question to yeah. you is going to be the obvious question. What is a lifestyle pharmacist? Yeah. So a lifestyle pharmacist is a pharmacist who helps people to change their lifestyle. Now, of course, when we hear pharmacy, we automatically think about medications. Yes. Well, medications are a part of what I do in my formal role as a practicing clinician here in the city. But through my consulting and wellness company, I actually help people to change their lifestyle. So what does that look like? That looks like helping them to eat healthier, to effectively manage their stress, to exercise regularly, to just make their home environment spaces that are places of peace and calm, and really emphasizing the importance of self-love or self-care, because we have to take a holistic approach to our overall health and wellness. So as the lifestyle pharmacist, I give people tools and strategies for actually putting these things into practice. So like my best-selling books, the live event experiences that I host called The Fab Gathering, the online lifestyle academy that I facilitate, those are all tools and strategies that people can utilize to put the principles that I teach into practice. We have to live it. So that is what the lifestyle pharmacist does, and that's what lifestyle pharmacy is. So of all the folks that you help um, coming from all different walks of life, what is the most common, I don't want to say problem because that sounds so negative, but like what is the thing that you're most constantly tackling with somebody? Is it stress? Is it eating right? Is it getting enough yeah. sleep? So I'm asking for myself. Self-motivated. AKA self. Um, a lot of it is healthy eating. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time unlearning a lot of things that we learned about yeah. eating and food and the role that food plays in our bodies and stress. We I spent a lot of time with women, especially coaching them through strategies and tools that they can use to kind of quiet the calm, to drown out the noise, because stress will not stop happening. Mm -hmm. Stressful situations are always around us, but it's how we respond to those stressful situations and really taking time out to prioritize ourselves as women. Women often put themselves dead last on the to-do list. The to-do mm -hmm. list is like miles long and the woman is usually nowhere on it or very low on the list. And so stress management and, and clean eating or healthy eating are things that I really emphasize. And that's what most women come to me wanting help with. What do you see as the interaction? I mean, obviously, again, you are um, a pharmacist by trade, the traditional, yes. uh, you know, someone who's uh, both, you know, doling out medicine and giving advice on, on how to use it. But then also you're focusing on this sort of lifestyle and wellness component. So where do those things intersect? Um, you know, do you see... You know, are there clear places where you're like, hey, this this particular malady doesn't need to be addressed with medication? You need to go this route? Or are you kind of like 
you know, the traffic cop for people they're thinking about <laughs> like how to approach their wellness? So there is definitely an intersection between lifestyle and any type of preventative mm-hmm. path and even a management path. So even when individuals are living with a chronic medical condition, whether that's high blood pressure or diabetes, high cholesterol, there is a lifestyle component to all of that. And most times when people see their primary care physicians, the whole lifestyle modification is discussed. Oh, you need to lose weight. Oh, mm-hmm. you need to stop eating fast food. Oh, you need to, you know, make these changes. But people aren't often given like a system or a strategy to follow, a, a blueprint or a roadmap. And so lifestyle modification or lifestyle changes has been something that I have heard throughout my entire educational path to becoming a pharmacist and in my career as a pharmacist. And people struggle with the how to do it. Mm -hmm. They have the best intentions. They want to get their blood glucose or their blood sugar, as it's often referred to, um, under control. But how do I do it? How do these foods that I have in my kitchen impact the numbers that I'm seeing when I check my glucose? I want to have good readings when I go back and see my provider. I want the data to be favorable, but I don't know how. And so that has been the challenge and the struggle for so many people that I've encountered, just even in my traditional job. And I'm wanting to be a person that helps them to navigate that confusing an overwhelming path. Mm. So the two constantly intersect. No, definitely. I think that's interesting because providing a how-to, so often it's just almost like a prescription, right? It's like, you need to lose X. You need to blah, lower it this amount. But you're actually striving to give people the resources they need. Yes. I have a question. Okay. So I feel like the most common thing when it comes to healthy eating, like obviously weight loss is a goal most people encounter and have, but you often hear people say eating healthy is too expensive and it's just not, it lacks flavor, quite frankly, is what a lot of people (laughs) say. We're from the South, right? So flavor and food is a big part of our life. How do you tackle someone who is just like, healthy food is too expensive. I don't know how to get it. I don't know what to do with it. What do you say? I say, I hear you. (laughs) I feel your pain. I have been, I have been that person before. And as a native Memphian, as a Southern girl through and through, yes, Food is such a huge part of our culture. And in the African-American community, food is steeped in such deep, rich traditions mm-hmm. and the things that we eat and the and the, the stories behind them and, and the reasoning is something that we all kind of grew up knowing. And it's just a part of the fabric of our communities. And it is difficult to make the transition to cutting out all the things that you love and like and grew up on to now eating these foods that are healthy and Mm -hmm. clean. And it is a process. And what I educate people on is what I call clean eating. And clean eating is not eating that deprives you of what you like, deprive you of what's familiar, but it does approach food in a way where things can be swapped out. So you can still have your burgers or your pizza or whatever that comfort item, you know, the spaghetti or the macaroni and cheese or the fried chicken. Just go ahead and but hit we have to <laughs> chocolate cake, chocolate, everything. But we have to make some modifications and just swapping out the ingredients that we're using. So 
depriving yourself of what you're craving and what you like is not going to be a successful long-term eating style mm-hmm. for you. And this is really just changing the way you think about food, the way you look at the ingredients that compose or comprise the meal that you're making. So simple things like using whole wheat pasta instead of, you know, the traditional pasta, incorporating more whole grains, eating more fresh fruits and vegetables, um, and cooking foods in their natural form, trying to get away from these processed convenience foods because we're so busy, right? Um, And so we have just fallen into this culture where we want what's quick and what's readily available. But those things are loaded with unhealthy fats and lots of sugar and lots of salt. So cooking more food at home is something that I strongly advocate for. And you can still get healthier ingredients, fresh ingredients, even shopping at discount stores. Like I personally shop at Aldi and this is not a plug for them. No, but love an Aldi moment. Yes, but it's just the fact that Groceries in some other stores are more expensive. And I have taken my same grocery list. I shop for the same ingredients, whether I go to Kroger or Whole Foods or Walmart or Aldi. My list is the same. Mm-hmm. The, the vegetables, the protein, the, the whole grains, the, the Greek yogurt, all those things are on my list. And I can find those same items at a lower price point type of store. Mm-hmm. So, yes, people say it's, it's, it's too expensive to shop healthy and eat healthy. I can show you that you totally can do it and your food can be just as flavorful and just as enjoyable just by switching out some of the ingredients and leaning away from salt and just using things like fresh herbs and aromatics and garlic and citrus. We still can have those robust flavor profiles. And we're from Memphis. My gosh, (laughs) put the grill to work. Mm. Grill your meats more. Broil them. Bake them. We don't have to deep fry everything. (laughs) (laughs) So those are some of the the. The, t- the tricks and the tips that I kind of yeah. share with transforming the meals from something that's not as healthy and cleaning it up. But you still can have the things that you love. Yeah, I love that you have this more alt. It's more of a instead of deprivation, it's alternation. Yes. It's alternating the ingredients. You can still have it. Yes. It's just still there. I like that a lot. <laughs> I like that mentality. I feel like it makes it more digestible. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But you just mentioned that you are a lifelong Memphian. You're a Southern girl. So this question may seem repetitive, but I don't think so. I like to ask this question, Uh whether people are from Memphis, Memphis transplants, whatever. What made you choose Memphis to do this endeavor? (sighs) You know, Memphis chose me. So full transparency, I went away for pharmacy school and my pharmacy um, postgraduate training, I did a residency. And my intention was to stay in Louisiana. I went to pharmacy school at Xavier University of Louisiana. And I have to give a quick plug to them. Um, <laughs> they are the only historically black Catholic university in America. Oh, wow. And so I'm not Catholic, but I'm a very deeply spiritual person. And just the structure and the traditions and the story and the heritage drew me to the school. And New Orleans reminded me, interestingly, of Memphis. The just it was such a unique place and it's a, a river city and the food and the music. So it reminded me a lot of home. Yeah, so like my known, plan known for its healthy eating as well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, right, right. So my plan was to stay there, honestly, because I had worked there. I had a great network there professionally. But y'all, I evacuated for every thunderstorm, every yeah. tropical <laughs> depression. I was coming to Memphis so much just to evacuate the weather. I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to Tennessee, and then New Orleans, I'll be back. Yeah. And it's been 16 years, <laughs> and I'm still here. Um, so 
Memphis is home. And when I really thought about the impact that the city had on me and who I was able to become, who I am today, it's because of the relationships. It's because of the teachers. It's because of the the people in my church, the, the neighbors um, that helped make me to the person that I am. And so pouring my talents, my time, my finances back into the city that gave me so much, it just felt like the right thing to do. And it's home. Mm-hmm. And I have been here ever since. And I'm not looking forward or planning to go anywhere else. Because there's so much work that can still be done. There's so many positive things that are happening in the city. And I'm, I just want to be a part of the, the positive change and the forward momentum because things are moving. They might not be moving as fast as some people would like, right. but things are definitely happening and changes are actually being fulfilled here in the city. Things that we've talked about and heard about, even from when I was a little girl, I'm starting to see some of these things happening. And people are moving to Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know, thank goodness for people like you who are transplants, who are, you know, singing like, oh my gosh, Memphis is wonderful. I meet so many people that are not from Memphis Mm -hmm. and they, and I'm like, wait a minute, but you're not even from here. And they're just going (laughs) on and on about how they love this and that and that. And we need more of that because we have to tell our own story. Mm -hmm. It's not the things that we see on the news because everything is not always positive that we see and hear. But, you know, the people like us who are here, who are working, who are living, who are here to make changes, we have to take control of the narrative and the story about Memphis. No, that's such a great point. And, you know, in your field, this is Memphis is a place that does have a lot of need in this area. And when you look at, you know, health outcomes and just like our sort of like health dashboard for the city and knowing that we have some of these really acute problems yeah. and so much of it is about education. Some of it is about equity and access. Um, so, you know, you, you were talking about the, the sort of optimism you have about the way the city is, is moving. Mm-hmm. Are there others in the community, other individuals or organizations working in the, you know, health access, healthy living, health equity space that you're really excited about or want us to know about? Um, So I recently became a member of the Junior League of Memphis. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my gosh, Junior League has so many amazing community partnerships. <laughs> yes. And I have been working closely with and exposed to, like, Grow Being Hampton, the amazing mm-hmm. things that are happening over in that community. Um, Also, Memphis Tilth, because mm-hmm. food and, you know, Community gardens are kind of like my my love language yeah. um, and just all of the energy and effort that is being put into making healthy, fresh food more attainable for all Memphians, regardless of your zip code. You know, those are two things that immediately mm-hmm. come into my mind. Yeah, both great projects. Yeah, I know Carpenter Art Garden over there, too, like... I just love everything they do. So, like, when you're talking about gardens, I'm like, I got to do a plug real quick. (laughs) They're just so great. I just love that our community has access to these things because, Mm -hmm. as Anna was saying, you know, there's disparities that exist. And we definitely have a problem with food deserts and things of that nature. So, I love seeing organizations that are putting the work in to lessen that. Right. And it takes Um, all of us. It takes... You know, of course, individuals, it takes people in the nonprofit sector, it takes people in the corporate sector, people in healthcare, education. It takes all of us to really help eradicate these disparities and make health more equitable here in Memphis. It shouldn't matter your zip code, you know, that, okay, I live over here and, you know, 38109, for example, you know, my life expectancy is shorter because of the things that I have access to or the Mm -hmm. lack of access to, you know, 
it should not matter. And so all of these groups can come together and partner and roll up our sleeves and really do the needed work to make these social determinants of health um, more favorable. So things like, you know, green spaces, places to exercise, healthy, fresh food. We talked about food deserts, um, blight, crime, poverty. All of those things have lasting and deep implications on residents here in the city. And it takes all of us to work on those. These are big issues. They're challenges. But with you know a diverse group of, of minds, perspectives around the table, having conversations just like this, that is how the change can actually happen and continue. Yeah, and it's exciting. I mean, obviously here in Memphis, but I'm sure um, nationally, globally, just thinking about how multifaceted health truly is. And it isn't just access to health care, although that's incredibly important. It isn't just access to healthy foods, although that's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, as you said, the sort of the combination of, you know, having having a, a, a safe environment mm -hmm. is something that I think we, we we talked a little bit about this on the on the show a couple of weeks ago with a young woman who um, works in blight eradication. Okay, because yeah. there is like true consequence for people's health, not just because you might be next door to a home infested with rats, which has health implications yes. too, but mm -hmm. what it does from a stress perspective. So I think right. that's, it's so interesting to see people holistically approach yes. this. I'm curious, you know, we talked about why you chose Memphis, but I'm, I'd, I'd also love to hear why you chose your particular career. What, what about pharmacy yeah. like, caught you or how did you decide you wanted to be in the healthcare field? Mm -hmm. and, and, and how did you go from you know, day one of pharmacy school to being a lifestyle pharmacist. Yeah. So interestingly, pharmacy also chose me. I didn't choose pharmacy right <laughs> off. So when I went to Xavier, they're known for placing African-Americans into medical schools. Xavier mm -hmm. has been number one for placing African-Americans in medical school for years and years and years and years. Um, I'm not sure what the current ranking is, but when I applied, we had been number one for, I know, at least 10, 15 years. So I went to Xavier as a biology pre-med major, and I knew that I wanted to be a doctor. I realized that when I was in junior high school, I went to Central High School here in Memphis, and I had an amazing guidance counselor. And science has always been the subject that I was very good at, and I really enjoyed it. So she suggested, okay, Jamie, start looking at careers in the sciences. If you're, you're going to college, that's the next phase what careers tie into the sciences? And so that's when I started researching. You know, of course, I could have been a, a chemist or a, a researcher. I could have been a, a teacher and taught science. Um, but I said, oh, I can be a doctor. I want to be a doctor. And so I left Memphis. I went to Xavier with the intentions of being a, a doctor, a medical doctor. I was a biology pre-med major. But life has a way of happening, <laughs> right? <does. laughs> And so I was home during winter break and my grandmother was in a very serious car accident. And so she was in the hospital because of her injuries. And when I was there, I ended up crossing paths with a black female pharmacist. And I was actually in my grandmother's room. I think I probably had some class notes um, <laughs> because that's what I've always kind of done. School has always been my thing. Learning is my thing. So I was probably reviewing some things. And she was like, oh, you know, what are you? She came into the room and I was there just, you know, my grandmother was resting and I was just sitting by the bed. And so she struck up a conversation with me, first of all. And she asked, could she sit down and, and visit with me? I'm like, but... Yeah she's the patient. Why do you want to visit with me? And so she explained that she was, you know, the pharmacist who was helping the doctors and the nurses take care of my grandmother. And she was really looking at the medications and that she was going to be okay. And just really helped me to understand the, 
the team-based approach to the care that my grandmother was receiving. And prior to that point, I had never had an interaction like that with a pharmacist. It had only been at like the drugstore. You know, I had never met a pharmacist in a hospital. And so just the idea that she took the time to talk to me, get to know me, reassure me, ask what I was studying. We talked about my college. And just that interaction and like, hmm, I hadn't thought about pharmacy. It's something in the science that I can use my science background to get into. So I started researching pharmacy. I didn't just say, okay, I want to be a pharmacist because, you know, you're the bomb. You're totally cool. I like you. <laughs> but I used that. That kind of sparked my interest, my right. creativity, and my curiosity. And I looked at, you know, the career path and all the opportunities. And the pharmacists can work in a variety of settings, not just in the drugstore, you know, all these different places that I hadn't even considered. And so when I went back to college the following semester, I realized that Xavier had a pharmacy school right on property. We had a (laughs) college of pharmacy on campus. We didn't have a medical school. I would have had to go to a medical school somewhere else. But I really, my research and the interaction with that pharmacist sparked my curiosity. And I changed my major to pre-pharmacy. And I was able to stay at Xavier and stay completely on track. I didn't get behind. I graduated on time. And that's how I became a pharmacist. <laughs> yeah, you really were kind of led there. <laughs> I was. I really was. And so the whole lifestyle pharmacist component really is because of a personal health situation that I had. And so I was in my career. I was back here in Memphis working and I was not living my dream life. And people will tell you, oh, girl, you are the bomb. You know, you were able to buy a house by yourself. You're not married. You built a house. You bought it. You have a nice car. You're living this dream life. You have this great job, this great salary. But it wasn't feeling like a dream to me. Mm-hmm. And I was actually clinically depressed. Mm. And I was in a dark place. And I was actually having thoughts of suicide. As a pharmacist, I have a very unique knowledge base. So the right combinations of things you know, could achieve a certain outcome. And so I had been having those thoughts, honestly. And it was when I had gone to my annual physical to see my physician and she was like, all your labs are great. You know, everything you're saying sounds good, Jamie, but something just seems off. Are you okay? And I was not okay, y'all. And so I had a choice. Do I continue to wear this mask and hide? Or do I say, you know what? I can't sleep. I can't eat. I'm having thoughts of ending my life. And so I sat there for a minute before I answered. And I said, you know what? No, I'm not okay. And then I just boohooed and cried and just told her everything I was feeling and thinking. And of course, I was put on a treatment regimen, right? Mm -hmm. So the pharmacist became the patient that had to then go to the pharmacy to get the prescription. But I couldn't tolerate the side effects. And we, we modified things and changed things, added things. And nothing was working. And so I started going to the gym throughout all of this, just as a way to kind of clear my mind. And so just being in that environment and being around other people who were sharing, you know, stories about what they were eating and what they were doing and meditating, I started picking up some of those things I was hearing and doing more research. And I started meditating. I started changing the way that I was eating. I was able to sleep again. My body started coming back and those thoughts were starting to dissipate that I was having. Now, I stayed in contact with my doctors. I didn't just go rogue and do this on my (laughs) own. I was still checking in with her regularly. But she and I agreed that I could try an alternate approach. Mm -hmm. So meditating, eating healthier, exercising, doing deep breathing activities, all of those things allowed me to take back my health and my life. And that's when 
the lifestyle pharmacist was born. And so it's not just like a buzzword or a catchy phrase that looks good on a website. That's really who I am. And so whenever I talk to people about overcoming challenges in their health, where there is their mental health, their physical health, their emotional health, I always share my story because I don't want them to see me, the pharmacist who lives this quote unquote picture perfect life. No, I'm a person that was broken just like you. I was prescribed medications just like you may have been or are. Um, but in addition to that traditional treatment, changing my lifestyle made such a huge impact and allowed me to get back to living my life again. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> it, I think it's so powerful because so often you have like, I, I've never heard anyone else call it a lifestyle pharmacist, but you have mm-hmm. lifestyle people mm-hmm. who have this way and they're very anti-medicine. Mm-hmm. Or you have pro like pharmacists, people who are just pro-medicine. They don't think the rest works. You are very unique in the fact that you are a doctor of pharmacy, Mm -hmm. but you also know there is another path. There is not one path for everyone. And that's what I love about the work you're doing is that you are really like, okay, we have different paths. Mm -hmm. If this one's not working for you, I will help you find something that will. So So it's it's taking care of the whole patient, the whole person. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, um, obviously, you know, the last year has been, uh, for many people, very challenging emotionally, physically. So for all of our listeners out there, what are one or two things that everybody could do today, tomorrow, this week to make their life better, to Mm -hmm. make, you know, their health a priority? Absolutely. So this has been unprecedented, the the things that we all have encountered. And we have been home more. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I tell people that you can do to immediately start to change your the energy surrounding you and even changing your your outlook is to take an inventory of your physical space because we're home a lot more now and your your home needs to be a place that helps you to drown out the noise the crazy a place of calm a place of peace a place of renewal a place of healing and so each person needs to have a little corner, or even if it's just a chair that you can pull into the corner with a throw or a pillow, we need a place that we can just sit and be one with ourself. Taking time out, even if it's just five minutes a day. I know you have maybe children at home, you have a a spouse, significant other, maybe have pets running around. (laughs) Pull yourself away from all of the activity And just allow yourself at least five minutes to just sit and be one with your thoughts, to breathe, and to really be grateful that things are as good as they are. Of course, you know, we want things to be better and we want to go back to normal. Like right now, we want our pre-COVID life back, but it's a process. But really taking time for self-care is so, so, so important for men, for women, for anyone. So Having a little corner, a little place that you can retreat just to give yourself a break mentally, do some deep breathing, thinking more positively, and of course, trying to avoid negativity where you can. So if that's on your social media feed, if that's what you're reading, if that's what you're listening to on the radio, we need to do an inventory of all that negative stuff. And if we're in a place that we are trying to move forward This negativity has to go. And it could be a person that you know. It could be a place that you visit. It could be things that you consume. We have to do a negativity detox. So time for yourself, five minutes at least, to start incorporating some type of self-care, time for self, 
and trying to block out negativity and avoid negativity. Those are two things that anyone can do, and it doesn't cost you anything. Mm. It costs you nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, words to the wise, everybody <laughs> yes. out there. I'm, Anna, I, stop reading I'm, Twitter. I'm already. Yeah, no, no. I was like, <laughs> social media check. Like that is my. Yes. Um, it's gotten better since. I'm um, proud of yeah. our <laughs> November election. So, uh, well, thank you so much. Thank this you for was, having this, me. No. So please, before you go, tell everybody. Where they can uh, learn more, like engage yes. with yeah. the multitude of your work. I know you've got books. I know you're a coach. So yeah. where can they learn more? So I'm. you can learn more about me by going to my website, drjamiehardy.com. And it's my name. So D-R-J-A-M-I-E-H-A-R-D-Y.com. And there I have a variety of free resources and tools that are available on the website. Um, that's the best way to connect with me. Um, and I'm, of course, on all the social media platforms at Dr. Jamie Hardy. That's my handle, D-R-J-A-M-I-E-H-A-R-D-Y. So it's all the same, all all the places. Um, and I would just love to continue these conversations and, and connect with you all. Well, it's a delight to meet you, yes, Dr. Jamie. So Thank, Thank you. Guys, give her a follow. I promise her Instagram is great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Expand your circle with New Memphis Embark. Let's face it, making new friends in your 20s is way harder than it should be. There's no guidebook, so let New Memphis help. Making connections is kind of our jam. And through New Memphis Embark, you'll be introduced to a cohort of more than 25 individuals that, while all very different from you, share a common goal. You're all young professionals striving to be the best you can and serve your community while also having a little bit of fun in the process. Expand your circle and apply for Embark today. Visit newmemphis.org for more information. All right, we have Caroline Vallman in studio with us right now. She serves as the community editor for Chalkbeat Tennessee, which is a nonprofit organization reporting on the education sector in our area and beyond in Tennessee. Welcome, Caroline. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so welcome Super back. happy to have you back. It's been a while since you were with us last. Absolutely. So. And nothing's happened. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. So. Nothing at all has changed in education, right? <laughs> so much has changed, and yet Hashtag also sarcasm. things have stayed the same. So, but yeah. excited to be here. <laughs> so we are here. Today is, we're recording this episode on March 8th. So um, today is the first day that our upper school SES students uh, mm -hmm. are returning to in-person learning. Correct. So uh, as classrooms are beginning to open up for the first time in over a year, which feels completely bonkers. It's to insane know that that's to think about it that way. You know, we're just curious, you know, you are sort of boots on the ground for the sector for us. So how is this being received? What, how is the transition happening? Where do you see this going well? Where are there places where we've got sticky spots we need to address? Sure, sure. Yeah, and I just kind of want to start. Uh, physical classrooms are reopening for the first time in over a year, but I don't want to negate all the work that's been done to make learning happen right. virtually mm -hmm. in the past year. I think sometimes we can get stuck on that language of mm -hmm. schools are reopening. Mm. Um, and I, honestly, I, <laughs> I think we've been saying that phrase at Chalkbeat, schools are reopening yeah. since like September. Mm. Um, but uh, it, it's true and it's not, mm -hmm. right? So I just kind of want to start there with learning has happened as yeah. best as people can can make it happen in the past year. It just has looked a lot different. They haven't been on summer vacation this whole right. time. Yes. <laughs> Schools have been in session, <laughs> yes. but 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 the physical return is very significant. Mm -hmm. um, and I also just kind of want to start us off with some numbers that our Tennessee team has reported for us. Um, 
you know, elementary uh, students returned uh, about a week ago, right? Um, and that was like 17,000. So about a oh, third wow. of that population within Shelby County schools returned. And as you mentioned, middle school and high school students are, are expected to come back today. And, you know, initial numbers, it'll be interesting to see what actually uh, comes to fruition. But about a third of elementary students um, eligible to return Shelby County schools chose to. Mm. And in upper grades, it's about a fourth. Um, so I also think that's really significant. Yes, schools are reopening physically and there's going to be a lot to, to parse out and learn from that. Um, but the majority of Shelby County School students still are learning virtually. And I think, you know, we need to keep that in mind. No, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're so grateful that the school district had had the logistics in place to offer that as an option because, you know, I know that it complicates things even further as they're trying to figure out who's teaching who and, you know, the obviously they're coming, you know, when for those who are returning to um, – in-person school, there's so many guidelines that the school right. system is following to make sure that we're trying to keep teachers and students safe. So, sure. um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just kudos throughout yeah. <laughs> yeah. every like two minutes during this uh, segment, we're going to say thank you teachers, yes. thank you school administrators, because we know that the job has just been like, I, I mean, I know even just again, the logistics of trying to figure out how do we get these kids back? Right. Who's coming back? Who's going to teach them? I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's yes. And and no, um, you know, Chalkbeat, we have a Tennessee bureau. We're based here in Memphis. We report on Shelby County schools. But we're also in seven other states with mm-hmm. local bureaus mm-hmm. doing local reportings there, uh, local re- education reporting there. And um, the national story has been nobody has figured this out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> some Some school districts have returned students physically much earlier than Shelby County schools. Um, and some haven't uh, returned at all yet. And so it's just there is no um, there is no standard. I think every school district is figuring this out on their own, you know, for better, or for worse in many ways and, and trying to learn from each other. But each situation is so different. Um, you know, in Tennessee, we started vaccinating educators last month, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, I, I think many educators viewed that as progress because there had been a lot of. Um, confusion on where they would fall in the lineup. Um, and nationally, that's that's true. Like a lot, um, there's, uh, it's a very hot topic in all states that Chalkbeat is in, where teachers should fall in the vaccination lineup. Um, we don't know how many teachers have been vaccinated in Tennessee. We don't have those numbers yet, but we do know that they've been eligible to sign up for about a month now. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that's been encouraging, um, especially in Shelby County, as we hopefully are going to be able to ramp up our vaccinations dramatically with the new Johnson & Johnson vaccine mm-hmm. set to come online sometime this month. Um, so I, I think there is some hope there. Another thing I wanted to mention to your original question, Anna, is um, I, something that's a little hard to, to wrap our heads around, I think for me personally too, is yeah, kids are coming back physically to classrooms, but a lot, of, I, I mean, all teaching is still basically done online. Mm-hmm. Um, students are just online on their computer within a classroom. Um, and, and there are some things to kind of parse through with that. On, on one hand, it means that, again, since a minority of students are coming back physically, um, it allows them to, uh, it allows everyone to be on the same playing field with the type of education they're receiving. Um, on the other hand, it, it still allows students who are coming back in person to get the social interaction, mm-hmm. to get the the physically being amongst their peers and physically being with a teacher, which I do think is significant, but I also think it's been a sticking point for a lot of parents. 
um, and teachers for that matter, mm -hmm. of why would I return to classrooms physically when I'm still kind of doing the same thing? Mm -hmm. um, and what are the pros and cons there? That's kind of what I find interesting is there's a lot of research, you know, like with the pandemic, it kind of just widened, you know, the learning gap a little bit and specifically highlighted where those disparities and things exist. Mm -hmm. What do you think kind of specifically education systems overarchingly, but in Memphis have done to kind of help in that area? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's been some great reporting and great conversations about how this period of our life hasn't necessarily created any new iniquities. Mm -hmm. It's just exacerbated Exacer existing yeah. ones. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that that's like such such an important and um, just disheartening conversation we all need to have is uh, we know that for a lot of students who are already uh, further behind in learning, mm -hmm. this past year has, has increased gaps. Um, literacy is a real concern. Right. Uh, especially in Shelby County schools, which prior to the pandemic had such an emphasis on um, uh, on literacy and, and being able to read well by third grade and, you know, considering policies like retention to try to understand how to better teach literacy at a young grade. Like that was already a really important conversation mm -hmm. in Shelby County schools before the pandemic. It's an even greater one now. Um, but I also think. You know, there are things to think through, like um, school buildings mm -hmm. and the quality of school buildings. Drive around Memphis for long enough, look at public school buildings long enough, drive to the suburbs. I, the disparity yes. is pretty stark. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one thing that I'm interested in is this wave of, of money that's come from, you know, federal relief. Uh, and parts of that have been able to go to things like um, HVAC mm. uh upgrades and repairs mm. um uh, part of it has been able to go to things like building maintenance before the pandemic shelby county school ha has an astronomical amount of deferred maintenance maintenance they've just haven't had the funding or been able to allocate the funding to keep up on their buildings um it, it's not like that's been it, it's not like uh, the federal release mon money has made a dent into that right because <laughs> when i say astronomical i mean astronomical but still like every bit counts and and that's something to think about as well is when kids hopefully are able to return permanently mm -hmm. um are their buildings going to be more equipped for them is a hope yeah i mean in the quest to find a silver lining any silver lining of the, this current situation and, and what we've all gone through in the last year as we think about hybrid learning and as you, you describe this model of you know a teacher potentially like being in a classroom with students, but also engaging mm -hmm. students remotely. Are there any, uh, and again, I'm being like overly optimistic sure. here, like, are, are we seeing any potential um, long-term positive effects of that? I mean, f for students who um, have access issues or students who um, learn better one way or the other way, is that something, a conversation you're hearing across your colleagues? Yeah, it's, I mean... It, it, it's really hard to quantify, mm -hmm. like, has this season been, um, you know, helpful for some kids' education and hurtful for others? Mm. Absolutely. It's just really hard to quantify that. Um, but there is, of course, you know, uh, there are, of course, stories of students who say, hey, it was actually really difficult for me to navigate socially um, because I, I might have a disability or a social anxiety and so being able to learn well within my mm -hmm. kind of power, within my control, um, to either self-pace or to take your classes from your room, 
Um, there are kids who have absolutely benefited from that. And, and we've been able to tell some of those stories at Chalkbeat. They're really significant stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what um, what is the overarching trend? It seems like the overarching trend is this has been a, an incredibly difficult year for most students. Mm-hmm. Um, yet those silver linings absolutely do exist. I'm very interested to see kind of since I know we work in the event space and you kind of have a hearing that hybrid's not going anywhere in like our sector. What is, I know you might not have any like hard concrete answers or data, but since things are shifting and pivoting to this hybrid model, do you think it might stick around in some capacity? It'll be really interesting to see what happens nationally as well as locally with that. Um, I mean, I, I think... You're going to have districts and and charter schools that were really, really far Mm -hmm. before the pandemic from one-to-one technology, which in education terms means every kid has a device, laptop, uh, tablet. Um, Some districts were like crazy far from that goal. Um, and, and but because of what this year has been, they've mm-hmm. had to invest heavily, heavily in getting every student a device. Um, so will technology be more a part of the way teachers teach uh, because they have access to a lot more laptops and tablets than they used to? I, I think definitely. Yeah. Your bigger question is, are districts going to think about sticking with some sort of hybrid mm-hmm. virtual in-person model? I don't know. Yeah. In, in New York, the conversation has been recently to do away with hybrid and to ask students to either and, and their families to either pick fully in person or fully virtual mm. for the fall. Um, so that's one example. Those conversations, um, to my knowledge, haven't happened at Shelby County right. Schools yet, but it'll be interesting to watch both here and beyond. I agree. I think it's just going to be, it's, I know it's a waiting game, right, that we're all in constantly. So I'm very interested to see kind of where we go right. uh, from here, which... One step at a time. I know. I feel like I should start singing. One step. (laughs) Well, like, I don't want to, we've talked a lot about, like, what's going on in the Shelby County school system. We've talked a lot about, like, the hard stuff that's happening for our teachers. But I kind of want to know, is there anything you're super excited about to see in 2021 that's going on in the education realm that we or our listeners need to be aware of? Sure. Um, You know, I think... Something that's been really important to our kind of mission as as education journalists has been to amplify students in this moment in time as experts on their education experience. Um, we've been able to do that through events, but also obviously through our, our journalism. Um, and, and something that has given me a lot of hope uh, and has excited me, I mean, just like if you're ever feeling down, round up some students to talk to because they... Um, <laughs> They really inspire me very greatly mm-hmm. and deeply, but uh, I've also been really impressed by their emphasis, especially the high schoolers and middle schoolers across the state we've talked to through our event series this past year. Their emphasis on mental health mm-hmm. and the return and, and as we return physically to to school buildings, what needs to be in place to support um, so many of our our little ones who have had the most unbelievably chaotic and scary and for some devastating year of their lives. Like we talk a lot about learning loss and about the difficulty of virtual learning and about the the fear in returning to person. I don't think we talk enough about the loss that so many of our families have experienced um, and and just the massive amount of disruption, right, um, in, in young people's lives. And so I know that our students are thinking very deeply about that mm-hmm. and thinking about how can we 
you know, how can we do better than maybe a counselor in every high school if you're lucky, right? Like, what can we do to build supports um, so that when students are coming out of this pandemic season, they um, are able to access things physically in their building. They're able to access support groups and networks. Um, and, you know, I think that's been needed for a long time. Mm -hmm. So that gives me some hope for sure. I completely agree. I've been working with our friends at Bank of America and their student leaders program in interviewing juniors and seniors in high school to right. come and be our intern for the summer. And what's really interesting about talking to these young people is they all this year has they have all developed a very keen sense of mental health mm -hmm. and also educational inequity. Mm. And they are coming up with these ideas and these ways to solve the problem because some of them get to go to, you know, what they call nicer schools and then the other members of their family go to less nice schools. I'm using their vernacular. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's just I feel like that is it's not necessarily positive, but it's a less negative impact of the pandemic is right. these kids are becoming more acutely aware and they're not just aware of the problems and like, oh, that sucks. They're willing to step up and figure out ways to help. Right. They want to help themselves and their fellow students. And I just think that goes right in line with what you were just saying. Like, it's such an admirable thing. And it's kind of that little ray of hope <laughs> that we need um, sure. in this time. So Absolutely. No, I think that's well, Caroline, thank you, as always, for coming in to give us uh, a report from the education space. Sure, sure. Um, I, will, I would love for you to share for the listeners how they can read Chalkbeat, how they can follow Chalkbeat, how they can support your work. If you guys are not reading Chalkbeat, please listen up because I do think <laughs> um, this is really top-notch journalism. Um, it is covering our local education in a way that really hasn't isn't being done um, by our other wonderful uh, media partners. So... Caroline, how can people follow Chalkbeat? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I'd really encourage folks to sign up for our newsletter. You can do so at chalkbeat.org and go to our newsletter tab. And I'd say please sign up for the Tennessee newsletter, but also sign up for our national newsletter because I, I think um, one of the, the strengths of Chalkbeat is it being able to take local news and center it in the national mm. conversation. We've got a lot to learn from what's happening nationally. Yes. Um, so do both, because uh, that's the easiest way to keep up, not only with what's happening here in Shelby County Schools and beyond, but um, nationally as well. And then I'd also say you can, you know, if, if newsletters aren't your thing, you can find us on Facebook, uh, chalkbeat.org slash TN um, or chalkbeat Tennessee. And then on Twitter, we're at chalkbeattn. Um, so all of our stories go there as well, uh, as well as a lot of our national stories. So if social media is more your vibe. That's where to find us. Um, and then if you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, uh, chalkbeat.org, and then go to our newsletter tab. Fabulous. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. We'll thanks, see you soon. Caroline. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks to Jamie and thanks to Caroline for spending some time with us yes. today. And thanks to you, Christy, for, as always, being <laughs> my brave co-pilot. Thank you. Uh, we will see everybody next week. Um, Christy, in the meantime, how can people get in touch with us? Yeah, guys, to stay in touch with all we are up to, you can always, of course, visit our website, newmemphis.org. Everything lives there. If you want to apply to a program, if you want to donate, if you want to donate, if wink, you wink, donate. <laughs> um, you can do that there. Everything is housed on our website. But if you want to keep up to date with all the cool news and things constantly evolving with us, please, please, please follow us on social at The New Memphis. We're on all four major channels. We also have a YouTube channel if you're feeling like a video here and there. 
So just give us a follow. That's where you can stay, like I said, up to date on all the latest, not only events that we're hosting, but we share all our city positive news. We share things that are going on with our friends. We have so many partners and wonderful organizations we work with. We share their events. So kind of it just gets you completely plugged into the city. So give us a follow, visit the website, give us a donation, please. <laughs> that was like such a sad like no, addition. I was going to say it. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's like the right motivation. Be like, no, please. Like. <laughs> please, like, guys, we're a nonprofit. <laughs> we're working very hard and we love our city so much. And we want to keep loving it for all time. So to do that, we need your donations. So, again, we also want your talent. Um, like, not like in an Ursula Little Mermaid way, <laughs> but in a, <laughs> we want to amplify your talent. Uh, so like our leadership programs really are made for you. They are made to amplify what your skills and inherent talents already are. They're just there to build them. So again, go to our website, newmemphis.org, if you're interested in applying. If you don't know where to go or what's for you, email us. You can email us at info at newmemphis.org. You can reach out to me. Slide into our DMs on the gram. I will reply. Um, and that's about it, I think. I think I've talked enough for a lifetime today. <laughs> we'll be back in one week to talk some yes. more. Memphis, thank you so much. Uh, have a good week. Bye. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR. Produced by New Memphis and hosted by Animal and Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.